time to set foot inside the morgue with your hosts, Lee, Carl, and Rob. I'm looking for the warm side of the door Where the fire's bright and it's burning every night Welcome to episode 10 of the Manchester Movie Morgue podcast. This evening's selection is carrying on with the um, Christmas festivities and we're taking a in-depth-ish look at Silent Night, Deadly Night from 1984. Hugely controversial release, especially for us in the UK. We didn't get to see it for a long, long time here. So we're going to um, try and slice and dice this one and decide whether it should go into the morgue just in time for New Year or if it should escape on our helicopter to freedom. Before we do that, we'll do our usual roundup of what we've been watching lately. And perhaps Lee. Hello, Lee. Um, I hope you had a nice um, holiday. What have, what have you been watching lately that's, uh, that's caught your attention? My uh, non-Christmas related stuff that I've been watching. I did watch uh, Home Alone 3, which is, is pretty terrible. <laughs> but I won't go into that too much. But uh, Arlington Road is a good one. I, I can't believe I've never seen that, really, for 1999. Jeff Bridges and Tim Robbins. Uh, Jeff Bridges plays like, yeah, it's good. He plays an, a college professor. His wife is an FBI agent who's been killed. And he's obsessed with, in a terror attack, he's obsessed with uh, his next door neighbours who he believes are, uh, could be possible terrorists. And it kind of develops, he, he's, he's, he's stalking them really. And it's a, there's, a, there's a twist. I won't really ruin the movie because it's, it's got a controversial part of the movie, but uh, that may sort of slightly anger the viewer. But uh, it's, it's a good, good movie worth checking out. The other one is a bit more lighthearted. It's Back to School. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield, who's a, um, known for his one-liners. And it's a, it's a typical sort of college, lighthearted film guy goes back to college with his his uh, son there and his son's a bit of a loser and it's of course as soon as the father ar- arrives he's very rich uh, suddenly he's, he becomes the most popular man on campus and it's a bit a bit like old school with will ferrell you know it's a, it's a bit along those lines it's worth a watch there's plenty of uh, 80s cheese if you and if you like one line of comedy not everybody does but if you like that kind of thing uh, that's definitely worth checking out thanks lee i mean i i would um I would recommend both the films we've just mentioned. First of all, Arlington Road. I've not seen it for a long time, but it's one of those films that kind of ambles and meanders along pretty well. And then, you know, the, like you said before, the, the events of the kind of the final 20 minutes or so just, just push it out into the stratosphere and you come away from that thinking, well, goodness me, what a, what a film that is. Um, yeah. It needs a sequel, doesn't it? Yeah, It does. Yeah, it really does. I think, um, yeah, and it's one of those films. That I'm I'm not sure if it's a if it's that readily available. I might have to look into that. I'd certainly like to see that one again. And it's funny you mentioned Back to School because I I saw that a couple of years back um, when it got released on DVD. And um, just Rodney Dangerfield, he's so funny. I mean, just looking at him, you just, just watch him <laughs> yeah. kind of move. He's just physically funny. He's got funny bones. There's a really yeah, good line, a- really funny line in that, which I think I'm not. I don't think everyone gets it. Is um because near near the start of the film he's married, isn't he? 
and uh, his, his wife's yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, like I think I know which one, yeah, like opulent, quite opulent things. And he finds he finds out his wife's been having an affair, and um, you know, with this other guy. Anyway, he's kind of a bit disconsolate about it. And anyway, another man comes up to him at this party and points this painting that's on the wall. It's by Klimt, and uh, oh yeah, and it belongs to his wife. <laughs> so he says, <laughs> yeah. says some long line of, uh, "Oh, your wife has a has a wonderful Klimt." And he yeah, says, and he, yeah, he says that, you've, you've seen it too, eh? <laughs> and there's another one where he goes, yeah, yeah, my, my wife's great. She gives great headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another another one worth a rewatch, definitely. Oh, yeah, well, oh, Lee, you, you, you've always had a very, very, uh, very well used festive season. It was a bit of a palate cleanser after watching Silent Night, Deadly Night, really. That was, <laughs> that was well needed. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll get into that shortly, I'm sure. Um, I, 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 I feel, I'll feel your pain, I think, on that one, but we'll maybe uh, talk about that a bit more later. Um, <laughs> okay. Rob, uh, apart from the festive Silent Night, Deadly Night, what else have you been uh, looking at in the last uh, couple of weeks? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a couple of good ones, actually. I'm, I'm going to um, miss out all the Christmas uh, dirge I watched, uh, and I'll go straight for... I watched uh, Pixar's latest film, Soul, which is on Amazon at the moment, and it's brilliant. It's just it's so good. It's It really hits the feels, and it? um, it's about a um, a man who's basically... His better days are past him. He's a musician, jazz musician, and jazz music features all the way through it. Not my bag, but... It's um, you know you can you can identify with somebody having a passion and and he basically he gets separated between his body and his soul on his one chance to have a break and he falls down a manhole and he ends up um, in heading to what looks like heaven but he, of course he doesn't want to because he wants to do his break so he gets into this uh, mental system where new souls are born and there's a, a soul called twenty two and everyone has tried to teach twenty two the value of life and it's about him showing the purpose of life and his appreciation for the little things, which is the key message. And it's such a beautiful film. I mean, you don't need to have kids to watch this. I did watch it, obviously, with, with my boy, but that's not necessary. It's just such a beautiful film. So that's what a good one. Another one I watched uh, was, um, I'm not sure I'd recommend this, was a Christmas film. It's called Happiest Season. And I think a lot of people are going to like this. I'll, I'll probably tune in for it because it's got... Um, the yeah, guy, I've watched that. The guy from uh, the guy from uh, Creek's in it, and you think, oh, he's going to be great in it because, um, of course, you know he's quite funny, and he basically plays the same character all the time. And it's about a two women, young women who are like uh, in love, and um, one of them invites the other one to come home for Christmas, and she hasn't come out to her family, and her family's a very privileged um, family with like a, somebody running for governorship, and uh, basically it's it's a big sin, and it's. It, the comedy ends pretty much within 15 minutes and it's just like a drama. It really is a drama about, you know, like the politics of being gay and coming out and stuff. And so I was waiting for the chuckles, but there was no chuckles. So to, so to balance that, the big one I will recommend to anyone who wants a good laugh and to appreciate what this, uh, what it's done for, well, for the world, actually, is to watch the documentary series, uh, The Comedy Store, which uh, Showtime have released, six episodes, and it is amazing. It goes through. Yeah, it goes through from right at the beginning, from like early seventies, right through the strikes. Every single comedian you appreciate and enjoy in the scene, many of the films you watch, um, you will see the import of that place and what it did, and some of the routines and seeing the old footage of it, it is so good. And it's um, yeah. it's it, I literally I ch- I absolutely churned through it. 
I did an episode of night and I was it was done and it was it's a brilliant thing to watch. So that was that's my big Christmas uh, recommendation, that one. Thanks, Rob. So um, yeah, I will I will be too. So that's a comedy store. Um you mentioned Soul and wow, what a, what a recommendation you gave for that. And uh, so I'll, I'll be oh, I'll be beautiful. I'll be catching that one very soon. I I'm, I'm, I have yeah. no doubt. I'm just I'm going to say I'm quite a cynical bugger, but soul, it, it really got me. I was like, you know, like when you go quite quiet in front of people and you don't yeah. you don't say anything, you you just kind of, you're trying to pretend you're all macho about it. But like in fact, it really got me. Uh, so yeah, soul. Just let it out, man. Let it out. Yeah. That's what it's there for. <laughs> okay, don't be no judgment here. We're all we're all film fans. And um, yeah, men of the world. So I've seen some uh, stills from that film, and it it just looks absolutely superb, doesn't it? The lighting on it is is unbelievably oh. good. So realistic. It's it's absolutely it's stunning. It's just, it's a, I mean, everyone involved in that. The only thing you know, I know not everyone's bad. Graham Norton gets a, a slice in the film. That's <laughs> the only thing I've it. seen because I watched the I watched the Graham Norton program a few weeks back. Yes, and uh, yeah. lo and, and behold, kind of, they had that scene ready. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of it does take you out of it a little bit because obviously if you if you're English and you know you, you see him everywhere, and the moment you hear his voice, it's, it takes you out of the film a little bit. But he's sneaking into a few films here and there, isn't he? Because he was also in the um, the Eurovision movie. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. So yeah. He's, he's he's got a new agent. He must have because he's um, left his radio show and going somewhere else. So it's like it's all going for Graham. Film contracts everywhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, where, and where will be next? Will be the next uh, bad boy sequel or something like that. So I, I I'm going to choose a festive one just because um, it was kind of it's a festive film, but I wasn't planning to watch it, but I ended up watching it. And it's called uh, it's called Last Christmas, and it's got um, Amelia Clark in it, who's uh, famous from Game of Thrones. And oh, I've seen it. Yeah. For some reason, which doesn't yeah. really make much sense to me, the, the much use is made of the music of uh, you know George Michael and Wham, obviously the, the title. <laughs> <laughs> well, this you know this has worked for other films and uh you know it's sometimes it it works well but here it just seemed like it was it was shoehorned in for no good reason mm. and i think for the first half of this film it's really a bit of a bit of a mess it's like a bit of a train wreck it's about amelia yeah. clark this girl who lives in london and life's a bit of a mess and you know she gets involved with the wrong kind of people and she's unreliable and um anyway she ends up meeting this guy who's um you know a bit more of a good egg more kind of steady reliable he seems to be interested in her and um the first part of the film kind of charts their uh their relationship and um it was really you know really quite messy uh up until then but i think what what really saved this film was the um kind of the we we're talking about arlington road earlier and the twist in that oh, it's, yeah, it's there's, there's kind of a twist yeah. in this and um it i think it, it really really worked well and it's one of those rare things where the, like the, the first half of the film is you think, where is this going? This is going to be awful. And actually the twist kind of pulls the whole thing back around. Um, it does, yeah, it does and save it, it a little just, bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, have you seen it before, Rob? Yeah, I saw it last year when it came out. And, um, last Christmas. Um, yeah, last Christmas. <laughs> you gave me a heart and I just wanted a, I wanted a brooch. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, the second film... The second film I watched was something on BBC iPlayer called Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread. And again, it's just a film that kind of was on and we started watching it. And, you know, it's it's much lauded by everywhere I've read review for this film. It says it's brilliant. Daniel Day-Lewis is fantastic. It's directed by Paul, uh, Paul W. Anderson. 
Apparently, it's Daniel Day-Lewis's last acting role before he retired. It's from 2017. And I just, I don't know if I wasn't in the mood or I, I didn't I didn't understand parts of it. I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. It's, it's a film about unpleasant people being unpleasant to each other and kind of accepting it. And I just, I, I, I didn't feel it. And maybe I need to watch it again, but um, I certainly wouldn't put it on my um, my recommendations board. Phantom Thread. Did, did it need more tits and go? <laughs> well, I think we're gonna we're gonna have plenty of that as we, as we go tonight. But yeah, it's it's it needs something. It's needed something. Like nothing happened as well. That was the other thing. You know, it's all the the number of times they must have really liked this staircase that they use in the film. It's all Nate's staircase because the number of times they filmed people coming up it in great detail. You know, it must have been like half the movie. So Phantom Thread, uh, one to avoid. But it, you know, if you're in, if you're up for a um, Christmas film that isn't too taxing and might possibly surprise you uh, come the end of the film, then then last Christmas might be one to uh, to go for. Good. So that leads us on nicely to uh, our topic of tonight's discussion, 1984's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, and we'll, do, we'll start by doing what we usually do, and I'll just run through a quick-ish uh, rundown of what happens in the film. Um, so in Silent Night, Deadly Night, begins in 1971, Young um, five-year-old Billy Chapman, he goes with his family to visit his uh, catatonic grandfather uh, in hospital. Now, Billy's left alone with Grandpa for a few minutes here, away from his parents, and Grandpa, unsurprisingly enough, suddenly awakens and warns Billy about the dangers of Santa Claus and Santa Claus who will punish children who've been naughty. On the way back from the hospital, the family stop for a, a seeming motorist in need uh, who's dressed as Santa Claus. This man ends up killing Billy's parents, uh, but spares Billy and his baby brother. Events now move more, move forward to 1974. Billy and his brother now belong to an orphanage where Mother Superior is a strict disciplinarian, to say the least, and is not sympathetic to Billy's past experiences. One Christmas, she forcibly sits Billy in the lap of visiting Santa Claus, and he flees in horror, punching Santa to the ground. Fast forward 10 years, 1984. Uh, Billy's now 18 and he starts a job working in a toy store uh, where things at first seem to go well. And now, but however, it's not long before the festive season kicks in again. And unfortunately, Billy is dressed as the shop Santa Claus, which ultimately sends poor Billy over the edge and he begins, he embarks on a, uh, on a massacre. And after committing several murders, Billy's tracked down to the orphanage where he's shot and killed by local police, but not before he's declared that the children are now safe because Santa is dead. And, um, and, and that's, that's the, that's the basic plot with, yeah, that's the basic plot of, um, of, of Silent Night, Deadly Night. So I, I have my opinions on this film uh, and um, we talk about them, but perhaps Lee, if we start with you, just some initial, initial thoughts about it. Yeah. I mean, initially I watched the first 15 minutes after a few whiskeys and the grandpa pit bit had me, Absolutely crying with laughter uh, because it's so over the top. The acting <laughs> in it and the bit—it almost reminded me of a, a very dark comedy sketch that you'd find in *The League of Gentlemen*. Because he just turns—he <laughs> turns to the suit to leave the leave the waiting room or whatever it is, the living room. He just turns to uh, to Billy and in whist- it's under, under his voice, but he almost sounds like he's possessed in a way, isn't he? This right. scariest. It's very telegraphed as well. This scene, yeah. isn't it?
Grandpa? Mom! What do you want her for? She can't help you? Nobody can. You're scared, ain't you? You should be. Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year. I'd be scared too, if I was you. You know what happens Christmas Eve, don't you? You know all about Santa Claus. He brings presents to all good boys and girls. <laughs> Your daddy told you that, didn't he? Well, I tell you something. Santa Claus only brings presents to them that's been good all year. To the ones that ain't done nothing naughty, naughty. All the other ones, all the naughty ones, he punishes. What about you, boy? You've been good all year? You see Santa Claus tonight? You better run, boy. You better run for your life. I mean, I think we, we have another kind of bad parenting award here, don't we, for the parents who, who yeah. against the protestations of the boys, say, no, no, don't leave me with granddad. Say, no, no, we'll be fine. We'll, take, we'll go by ourselves and take our, our, our baby. And you stay here with granddad. <laughs> who doesn't want a day out at a mental institution? It's just fun for all the family, really, isn't it? And I, I also have a theory about this film that everybody is, pretty much everybody is deaf in this film. I think maybe there's a problem with the the Utah water, maybe there's some lead in the pipes that's causing some deafness because really the, the parents are only just in the other room, really, aren't they? And uh, at the end of it, Granddad's shouting, isn't he? Isn't he in his warning? He's, he's, uh, I think he's even laughing as they're pretty much opening the door to the living room. They must have been taken to a soundproof room or something. They're right. He, <laughs> he shouts, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's cackling and laughing, isn't he? And overacting. Maybe the doctor's a podcaster. You know, he's got a sort of soundproofed uh, studio there that he takes his uh, takes uh, the the guests to. This could or be something, it. Maybe. Yeah. I, mean, I know. I have a soundproof booth here in, in uh, where I'm broadcasting from. I know, I know you guys do. Uh, you've got egg boxes up all over the wall. And, Oh, of course. Yeah, it's the only way. Minimum required. <laughs> the first 15 minutes, I watched it, and it got to the bit, obviously, where you have the attempted rape. And I watched this on, on Christmas Eve, and I just wasn't in the mood for it. You know, I was, like, full of Christmas cheer. It was Christmas Eve. I had a couple of whiskeys in me. I just didn't want to watch somebody sort of being raped and, and a kid watching his mother being raped. And uh, and uh, they throw, even though she doesn't actually get raped she gets a a throat slit and obviously everybody in this movie who's killed has to have the obligatory shirt ripped off you know i thought there were so many shirts being ripped off in this movie i thought hulk hogan was going to pop out at some point uh, <laughs> it was just absolutely ridiculous so i, I just thought i'm going to bin it and then i came back to it a few days later when i was when i was in a better mood and gave it a fairer hearing 
And I don't know, I kind of feel like, am I taking this film a bit too seriously? Is it, is it just made for teenagers? Is it, is it the, it's almost like a cross between a slasher film and Porky's, isn't it? And um, I just, ultimately, I think there's, there's not any well-rounded characters. They, they spend way too much in the first third of the film uh, establishing the backstory. That could have been done very quickly with a couple of flashbacks. Uh, but they spend half an hour at the the orphanage, don't they? I don't know what you thought. Do you do you, do you think they they sort of wasted a lot of time there in the in the orphanage scenes? Yeah, um, yeah, I, possibly. I, well, this is a thing. One of the things about the film is I thought it was a film of two halves. I mean, I, I agree with you completely about the um, the sexual assault scenes. They they are always a turn off, as far as I'm concerned. You know, mm. I mean, not not they would be a turn on, but when they're placed in a film like this as well, which is it's not a grand work of art. It's, it's a film for, you know, to, ex, you know, for exploitation to, to, to make money. And, and that's fine. You know, that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah. But when they kind of throw in this, I mean, there's two sexual assault scenes in this film yeah. and they're, for, for me, they're just completely unnecessary. I think the director was definitely, a, was definitely a tit man. Um, because I think there's, we get to see the four, four different young ladies in, in uh, statesman dress through this film, which, yeah. you know, you, you, you got in those, but the I think the sexual assault was just unnecessary and kind of takes it too far. And I can certainly understand why, in the light of those scenes, that the film wasn't even presented for classification in Britain because they they would have known full well that they would have they'd mm. have taken those scenes out at, at a very minimum and p- possibly more. So um, yeah, I, for me, it's a film of two halves. I, but having said that, with the with those scenes there, the first half of the film is the, I think the build up's quite good. You know, we get to see the events that happen in poor Billy's life. I mean, he's you know he's a he's a really kind of sad character, isn't he? And um, we we get to kind of see him up to the point where he becomes this uh, rampaging killer. But I felt that after that point, they kind of forgot about him. When he becomes a killer, there's no more sympathy for him. He's got no sympathy for anybody else. It completely forgets about his character, and um, it becomes almost like a series of vignettes. I was confused about who we were supposed to be rooting for. I don't think there was anybody you could uh, really root for in this film. I mean, yeah, up until the point he kills the the, the girl who's being raped uh, in the toy store, uh, up until that point, you could possibly root for him, couldn't you? You know, maybe they could have took it in a different direction with him almost turning into a Dexter-style, you know, serial killer. Uh, going after uh, maybe even you know he doesn't even think about maybe trying to track down the the killer of his parents or, or you know maybe they could have took it in that direction or certainly gone to the orphanage a bit sooner but uh, yeah I just didn't feel I didn't really care about any of the characters I mean a lot of the the kills they just throw the character in uh, and then the character's killed within minutes really seconds and you're just like oh well whatever you know it's just a bit of a cheap that's right. It's there's no development. It's, it's vignettes. You know, we're introduced by to several characters with them. You know, like having sex or um, being bullied out of their sl- their sleds. That, like you said, there's no character development. It's almost like a series of sketches where you know, and they're all punctuated by the, the Santa killer coming in and and offing offing some of the um, some of these supporting characters. Uh, such as they are. Rob, what did what did you think? I think the opening is quite good, actually. So when it first started in, uh, it's uh, and the, the build up is gradual. Yes, and I quite like that. It's a, very few films you get the reason for somebody turning into a psychopath. You just straight away they just are a psychopath, especially a slasher film. And I thought that was pretty decent. But then when it starts to fail for me, is when it starts going to TV movie nutside 
So whenever David, uh, David, William, sorry, Billy, whenever William is uh, about to break, he's like cracking up. He does like this little eye up to the ceiling and the crooked mouth, and he starts holding his head. And it's like it's it's like it's like you know if you like the old school the, the old school like doing that windy finger at the side of your head to say someone's a bit nuts, and he he starts doing all those things, and uh, and 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 they keep on building up, you know, the tension towards he's going to have to wear the Santa suit. Oh no, he's getting a bit tense. Uh, uh, he's, he's um you know he's saying the wrong things to the children. It's built up, but and and then like you said, it's like the, the film just does a massive shift. It like goes from that slow slow build up to just becoming a really quite a mundane slasher film the second half with lots of flashbacks of his mum's boobs it's it's more it's, it's i mean the bit at the beginning is quite you know it's very brutal his mum and dad you know like uh pulled over by this assailant at the side of the road with a gun his dad's shot immediately uh even though they've given you know they're not putting up any fight and his mum's top is ripped open and these giant voluptuous boobs flop out and then uh, the killer, the guy doesn't do the guy like he, he, he oh she slaps him doesn't she doesn't she fight back a bit and then he and then yeah. he slashes mm-hmm. he, he, he slashes a throat and that scene yeah I think you see it about six or seven times um, especially in the rated version which I think we all saw um, the unrated yeah. version with the um, kind of the added the added gore before it was cut by the the American censors that you know it, we said before didn't we that, that it is quite graphic and the, the special effects work is is pretty good in this film um so it kind of makes it all the more kind of uh, harrowing Billy he's a boob man as well in it because this has had an imprint on his life he's a boob man because like uh, he daydreams in his job about having sex with the with his co-worker which is what even more of a surprise when he kills her because like he has this like really quite it's like a tender moment where like they're both lying naked and he's caressing her, and then um, then a Santa runs in the room and starts killing them both. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> talking we might be talking kind of cinematic cliches here, but I mean, when when he was about to kill the um, you know the his co-worker, the girl, I, I did wonder if like a, a better film would have he'd have had a, a moment there where you thought oh, perhaps I perhaps I won't kill her. Should I kill her? A conflict, but there doesn't seem to be any conflict there, and surely there would have been some. He goes from being quite—he's not the most talkative, is he? Uh, in the in the job, is it? And he's called. There's a man. There's a man who works in the shop as well. who really hates him initially for no reason. He just goes about his job, and there's this really standoff argument between him. He goes like, "What the fuck are you doing, man? I'm not doing fucking anything. Do you care about his fucking job? I don't care about his fucking job." And it's like it's, a, it's an, <laughs> the banter back and forth on his efforts. How he's going to tell the toy shop owner about you messing around and dossing off on the job, and you know that the moment that argument happened, I like, straight away I thought, "You're the first kill. You're the first <laughs> kill." And, and I, I was thinking, how how is he going to die? Is he going to die imaginatively? And uh, and when he snaps, he goes from being, he has no reason left, does he? So he literally goes to mumbling. He's mumbled lines about, have you been a good boy? And he, he, he quotes lines from, um, uh, was the night before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, He's 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 got all the part down, all the psycho. Yeah, there's there's no there's no dialogue other than that though, isn't it? There's just punish. That's it. There's no clever dialogue or anything like that. (laughs) It's a good line. I can't imagine. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger would probably have said no to that as one of his kind of um, uh, catchphrases. (laughs) I'll be back. Punish. They missed so many opportunities. Like, and with that girl, you yeah, like you said, if it was a better film, he probably would have reasoned with her. He would have said to her, um, you know, like uh, he was trying to hurt you because he stops that man from raping her. 
he would have said, he's trying to hurt you, and I got carried away. But he doesn't even do it. He's, he's gone too far, hasn't he, already? Yeah, and he, yeah. he, guts, he guts her. He kills her quite brutally. I think it's probably one of the worst kills, isn't it? And he really close up. Yeah. And he uses um, he uses a Stanley knife or a parcel cutter in America, and he... And that's how he kills, and it's really, and that's when you get the special effects budget and the version that we all saw. The quality changes of the oh, light, terrible. isn't it? So yeah. I think it's something to do with it. You said it's about, it's about the film footage was took out and then put back in, or it was. So in when it was released in America, the the distributors wanted a uh, an R certificate, which meant that you know anyone could get in to see the film who was under seventeen was an adult. Because in America, they either had the other op- the other options were either having an X certificate, which people thought immediately thought meant it was a pornographic film, or it would go out unrated, which again would kind of you know cause a lot of people to kind of think, oh, why has this film not got a rating? So they they wanted that R certificate, and in order to get it, presumably they must have submitted it to the uh, the MPAA, which is the kind of the the, the USA um, censorship board, and they they must have demanded a list of cuts to to you know all, all of the kills. I think seem to seem to suffer. Anyway, anyway, years later they they found this unedited footage, but it, it had deteriorated. So in the unrated version that exists now, they've kind of assembled it all back together. But you'll notice that when when the kills occur, and there's a slightly gorier moment, then the, the quality of the footage just just drops out uh, just for a few seconds. It really takes you out, out of the film, doesn't it? It takes oh, you out of the moment yeah. and, and does spiral it to a degree. But I, I understand, yeah, that's the only footage they've got yeah. and it's better to have that in because because otherwise, you know, what are you watching? So it's just like, it's porkies if it doesn't have the gore in there, isn't it? So. That's right. It's, I didn't watch the, um, the, the, the disc that I watched, which is out from um, 101 Films in the UK, um, it does offer the the kind of theatrical version on a separate disc, but I thought, well, there's no point in watching that because it's just going to be less of what I saw. Yeah. And, and if it's not got the gore, this film, the kind of good gore effects, then it's one less plus point in its favour. Also, Cal, you're a big tit man, and you would have seen less tits. <laughs> well, I, I take all sizes. I'm not a big tit man. <laughs> he's, a, he's a connoisseur. <laughs> I have to say, I'm a I mean, man of the world. It's not the filmmakers. It's not the filmmakers' fault. But you know, like when you're watching a slasher film, like you know, and there's always a mirror scene. Like, is the killer behind the mirror? Is the killer behind the door? Is the killer just going to appear over the shoulder? Of course, because of the because of the cut footage. Because of the cut footage, you know the yeah. kill's coming. It's and there's a, there's a great. There's, there's some great. There's some good cuts. There's some good kills in it. I mean, we will talk about the kills. We have to, don't we? Because uh, our favourite top ten kills. <laughs> and and yes, eight yeah. mur- he, he kills eight people. I counted how many deaths. Got like a, ever since I watched Commando when I was a kid, I counted how many people die in the film. So <laughs> there's eight ki- eight kills, and then if you include his mum and dad, that's ten kills. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many. I don't know how many boobs there is. So there's uh, his mum's boobs, uh, his co-worker's boobs, who you see twice, and then there's the lady, there's the there's the babysitter's boobs, and uh, and it, and there's about eight different calls. Oh, there's, the, there's the nun's boobs as well. I oh yeah, the forget. fit nun yeah. boobs. Yeah. Um, is that? Yeah. <laughs> is that uh, oh, is that eight? No, four. <laughs> yeah, the mother Teresa's uh, mother Teresa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've lost count. I always lose count when I'm when I'm counting these things. Um, but mother's the mother's superior is furious about those boobs, isn't she? She's not, they're, they're the ones that she push her over the edge, and uh, she, is. she punishes. I mean, Billy, um, the trauma he's gone through. He's obviously had his parents murdered by this Santa guy, and then uh, and then he's in a he's in a uh, you know 
uh, an orphanage run by nuns and uh, he gets bullied by the mother superior literally everything he does is count as defiance he gets locked in a cupboard he gets beaten tied to the bed um, doesn't he so you did, did either of you think yeah. this this film in any way was like some kind of comment on the hypocrisy of the church? I mean, yeah. it, it, yeah. mind, uh, it must have crossed the script writer's mind, I think, for maybe ten seconds, um, because it's it's kind of utilised and then it's it's not it's not played out. It's another thing that kind of they forget about later on. I it's don't know probably why. About this. Yeah, it's probably why censors jumped jumped on it. Yeah. And also the state of mental health support in the States, really. If you've got no money, there is no really mental health support out there, is there? Or certainly there wasn't yeah. in the 80s. Certainly. Uh, like now. I don't think it's got much better now, has it really? Yeah, the mother, the mother superior is a complete... Um, she's a sadist, isn't she? she uh, which is actually quite a common film, a theme in a lot of films, isn't it? Where the... Um, uh, is it Catholic Boys? That's a film which always sticks in my mind. It's a, 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 it's a comedy. The following year. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, Catholic, but Catholic boys has this really um, brutal priest, doesn't he? he? Completely beats all the boys, and you know, they're planning the you know, plotting the revenge. But it's more of a comedy that film. But um, but this one, yeah, there's 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 no comeuppance, is there, in this film as well? Like, you know, if Billy wants to get to her at the end, it's only explained to you that in exposition, man, who's the detective? Um, it it doesn't it doesn't. Um, it, Billy doesn't actually say I want to get I want to kill the mother superior, but it's explained to you that that's what he's doing, mm-hmm. um, and he gets stopped just at the end, doesn't he? Just before he can swing the arrow, yeah. before he can before he can kind of act carry out his revenge. I just wish there was more time spent there in the, the last third of the film. Really, I mean, he spends more time outside dealing with the dealing with the cop, doesn't he? And it would have been nice, perhaps, for him to break in, in at night and, and sort of uh, even. The uh, sister Margaret, is it? The the other one who's sympathetic? I think maybe she should have called under some punishment as well. She kind of realised, I mean, the uh, super, mother superior doesn't really realise what she's doing is wrong, but I think uh, Margaret does realise uh, that Billy's being mistreated and does very little about it, really. She sort of turns a, a blind eye, so it would have been maybe yeah. good for, for her to have had some comeuppance. No, I was thinking about like the, um, like in, have you seen Carrie? Yeah. There's kind of a sympathetic character in Carrie, isn't there? And at the end of that, that film where Carrie's kind of carrying out her <clears throat> kind of mission of vengeance at the end. Oh, um, I'm for you. <laughs> there's, there's one of the teachers who's kind of been slightly sympathetic towards her but she doesn't spare her either she you know, um, oh, no, she, she, betray, she betrays her though doesn't she the, the sympathetic teacher because oh, that's true. When, she, when, yes. when, when Carrie has the pig's blood poured on her um, the teacher laughs she laughs even though she knows she should uh, yeah you're right yeah I've not seen that for a while but you're right about that yes she does and, um, the final yes. straw for her but in this in this film you know, the nice nun She's a terrible work placement officer, isn't yeah. she? She puts, <laughs> she put, she puts him in the one. The you've worst. Been yeah, you've been traumatized by Christmas. Let's put him in a frigging toy shop, you know. And even she didn't know about the Santa, the Santa suit, but she chooses a toy store at Christmas. Yeah, but this is the thing, Robin Lee. She places him in April. The film says it's April, nineteen eighty-four, which and, and the film's wrong here because it says ten years later. But it's not quite ten years later at this point. It's uh, it's a bit less than ten years. But anyway, we'll let that one pass. <laughs> Nine years in April. <laughs> so they placed him in this toy shop in April nineteen eighty four. <clears throat> Did they not think? Oh, we've got we've got eight months. We've got eight months, and we need to let the toy store owner know at some point not to 
have him involved, let's have Billy involved in any of this Christmas activity. Yeah. And certainly, whatever you do, don't dress him up as your store yeah. Santa Claus. He should have come with some gremlin, gremlin <laughs> style instructions, shouldn't he? Of don't don't feed him water after midnight. Don't put him in a Christmas suit. You know, come on. Uh, yeah, she's not a very good work placement officer. I think she kind of pretends that she cares. She talks a good game, and perhaps uh, doesn't doesn't follow through. Um, can we can we talk about the uh, can we talk about the office party which happens or the shop the shop party at Christmas? Because uh, I love this scene because like before before Billy's about to crack the the Christmas party is basically him and his four co-workers, including the toy shop owner, uh, basically just getting pissed at the. Uh... Well, who wants to spend Christmas Eve evening with their with their workmates? Surely it's like right, okay, you're on the other side of the door, locking it and saying, "Let's get pissed." No, you're not on on the inside. So do they just live there? Are they so poorly paid? Is Mr. Sims such a tightwad that they can't afford a flat and they just all live there? Mr. Sims is the best because he, he immediately, as soon as the last customer's out the door, he turns around and says, let's get shit-based. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't care where. He wants to do it by the tills with all his co-workers standing right next to him, still in their work clothes for, for the rest of the night. I get a feeling is it? He's got he's got a thing for the the older woman who works in the store, hasn't he? Because it's just them two. Mister Sims. It was all a ploy to get in her knickers, really, wasn't it? It was all let's have a, a works do in, in the toy store. You know, I've got, I've got a chance. Here. To be fair, possibly. And, and there's a there's a point that he wanders over to Billy, does it? This this bit crap me up because uh, there is some, something unintentional and intentional laughs maybe, but uh, he wanders over to Billy, who stood on his own, looking a bit manic. Drinking, drinking for the first time, and he says to Billy, "You're having a good time." Can I just mention something about Mr. Sims? Now, I thought originally Mr. Sims was like quite a quite a nice, uh, sympathetic character, and and he is. And I thought, oh, this guy is not a, not a bad actor. But I changed my mind completely when the actor who plays Mr. Sims—I don't know his name—is pretending to be drunk. He's the worst, the worst at pretending oh, to be drunk, drunk in the world. Surely, surely this chap has been drunk or has seen people drunk. And the things that he's doing, they're not the actions of a drunk person at all. He's, he's terrible. He's terrible. If you watch this scene, these scenes carefully, he's an awful acting drunk. And I don't understand why they didn't just get oh, him drunk I, and uh, do it that way. I thought I recognised yeah. him from somewhere. And he, he's in Weird Science. He's, uh, he plays <laughs> he's Greg's dad, I think, oh, right. isn't he? He's the, uh, Al, Al. I think he plays Al, yeah. So I was, I'm sure I've seen this guy from somewhere. But, yeah, he's, he's not... He's, he's probably the actor who went on to have the best career after this film, but yeah, he's he's not not a great actor. With it. I agree. He has a, he has he has a quite a sudden death as well, doesn't he? He gets um, is it a knife to the head? Uh, it's he a gets, hammer. He gets hammered, <laughs> doesn't he? Honestly, <laughs> he gets a hammer. Yeah. Oh, that's maybe that's a joke. You know about getting hammered. You know, you get is that an American expression? Getting hammered. Getting hammered at Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Our, our American listeners perhaps could help us out. Is is so, getting hammered? You know, a, a term for getting drunk. If uh, if you can uh, reply to our Twitter account, then uh, we'd, we'd like to know. <laughs> I think I think it is. Yeah, he leaves the hammer in the head, doesn't he? So like because when she when the older woman discovers uh, discovers uh, his body, he's still got the hammer planted in the skull. The deaths, the first deaths, are quite decent, aren't they? The first deaths is a. His his colleague, who Billy had a crush on, who he's been daydreaming about sleeping, decides like naively to go in the back with this um, this complete like jock who says, "I've got a present for you in the back. It's a secret present." And she falls for it, and she goes in the back, and then he's like all over, is it? 
and um, and it's just building up to like a really uncomfortable scene. And then Billy wanders in, and Billy's Billy at this point is cracked, hasn't he? And Billy Billy gets the strength of Darth Vader. Oh yeah, he does like a, a choke slam almost on him, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and sort he of strangles him with uh, some some Christmas lights. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and then he and then he turns around, and the girl who he's had this thing for, you know, for however long he's worked at the shop, uh, suddenly sees him as a monster, and he can't cope with that. So that's when he gets the uh, the parcel cutter and slices her. Um, Cal uh, mentioned something before we started this that, like, apparently the director wanted to do Christmas kills all the way through. And this is one of the extras, which is on the um, the one hundred and one disc, uh, and and he explained yeah. that he he wanted to kind of yeah. use some kind of Christmas paraphernalia for each murder, but this is the only one I think that they yeah. that actually. So the first put the, the first guy, the co-worker, is killed by um, Billy hanging, kind of lifting him up and kind of hanging him effectively with uh, with Christmas lights. Um, I think that's the only one, isn't yeah, it? Because ev- every so. other murder is either a knife or an axe or... I suppose you could say the... Yeah, I mean, the, the killing somebody on a sleigh is a little bit Christmas-themed, isn't it? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> is it sledging, slaying or sledding? I think it's sledding if it's downhill, isn't it? So, you just reminded me, the original title for this film, as scripted, was Sleigh Ride. Later on, was it kind oh, of rechristened... Um, Silent Night, Deadly Night, presumably for, they must have thought it was a bit more commercial. But yeah, it was written and nearly completed as a, yeah. a sleigh ride. In fact, the, the the company that produced it is called Sleigh Ride Productions. It's one of the um, better kills, is it, the sleigh ride? Because it's these, it's a hilarious scene, actually. It cuts to these guys in the 20s. Who, the guys in the 20s who are supposed to be teenagers or little kids who were then accosted by two blokes in the 30s <laughs> who were like the town bullies who bully them to take their sleigh. And then, um, and then as he's going down the hill, uh, Billy stood at the side, ready to do it, lock his head off. And it's it's really done that scene a bit like it reminded me of the you know the Omen. Is it the Omen two or the Omen? Uh, the one with the the glasses. The that's sheet that's of glasses um, the uh, yeah, off. the Omen, uh, the first one with uh, it's David Warner's character, isn't it? Sorry, that's spoiler alert, everyone. But um, anyway, that that it was so reminded me of that scene. And then um, of course the sleigh the sleigh continues down the hill, and his mates waiting at the bottom of the hill, and his mate can't he's cheering, can't make it out, and eventually sees <laughs> the, the headless torso, and then and then the head the head the head manages to roll all the way down. Does Billy throw <laughs> it? You don't see. Yeah, that. the model head has <laughs> come kind of some throws it down the hill. <laughs> After him, <laughs> that was a good throw, wasn't it? That was a decent throw from a full bit. I, I, suppose, I suppose Billy's pretty strong, isn't it? Because yeah. he can lift people with one arm. Rob, you said before, before in our little kind of pre-record conversation, that, you, that he'd kind of. I wonder if they're inspired yeah. by Star Wars yeah. because it's almost like the Darth Vader choke lift, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that, that, <laughs> Yeah, is is also is it is it the Vulcan the Vulcan death grip as well? I think uh, I think old Spock old Spock <laughs> old Spock can do it because he doesn't know. Also, also, they're definitely inspired by Friday the Thirteenth, aren't they? Because like these um and those type of films because there's a, there's a kill in the with this babysitter where he lifts her. She's actually the prettiest prettiest girl in it, isn't she? And he hoists her. And then he, he mounts it on a um, it's done his shadow at first. He's mounting on onto this uh, this stag with its horns, and then it cuts to uh, cuts to, you know the, the film deteriorates in quality. Then and it cuts to like, yeah. the horns pier- the horns piercing through her. Um, <laughs> Again, I, I I think the um, the sleigh kill is the is the best one. But that's that's another interesting one. Kind of having you know kind of mounting someone on the wall on stag. 
stags yeah, uh, it's, it's, antlers. Yeah. I wanted to see him use the the axe more, but we don't really see it till sort of much later in the film. I mean, he throws it oh. after you know. I mean, that was such a bad choice, isn't it, to throw your yeah. weapon? I think always in- uh, an interview well, with the actress, the actress on the um, on the on the disc that I watched as well, and she said that they actually threw an axe, which was like you know feet away from her from her head. Because, you know, relatively low budget production. They actually threw it. You know, she's this actress is called Linia Quigley, and she she kind of made a little name for herself as an actress who appears in different horror films as kind of a, a screaming victim with well, obvious other assets, mm-hmm. <laughs> things like Return of the Living Dead oh, yeah. and a, a stack of other films that were kind of all horror. You know, did it at the counter kills earlier. I missed one out. The the really innocent kill in it, which is like uh, they know that uh, Billy's coming to the orphanage uh, dressed as Santa, so they know there's a killer coming dressed as Santa, and there's an innocent priest, isn't there, dressed as Father Christmas, and there's this gun hat. There's this gun happy policeman who just blows him away. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's deaf, isn't he? He shouts at him or something, and he doesn't stop. And uh, they said, Oh, it's Father Maguire, he's deaf. You know, of course he won't stop. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, this dark, this dark comedy, you know, that's that's not escaped me. You know, it is darkly comedic at times. I did laugh. I, I quite like um, I quite like that part where, you know, the, uh, the, the, the father is shot and they think it's him until they turn him over. And they they kind of realise from the description that it's not the killer. I thought that was quite yeah. a nice little touch actually, and um, late on because there wasn't really anything else going on. But it's not a unique idea. It's something that's done like in Halloween too, isn't it? Where the the character yeah. gets killed, or is it uh, the guy dressed as in the costume? But yeah, yeah, it's quite. It was it was a good touch that I think. Well, I was going to say what I didn't get though is the fact is that you know most people. I know it's not realism, but. Most people, if you just shot someone, an innocent person, you'd be a bit gun shy by then, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd be a bit let. You'd be keeping it locked away. You put your gun down. You'd be a bit ashamed of yourself. This guy in front of all the kids is straight out there again with his gun, isn't he? <laughs> he's holding his gun aloft and he's wandering around and he's wandering in a basement with his gun and he's ready to blow anyone <laughs> who moves. <laughs> and he gets an axe to his belly for his troubles, doesn't he? He does. I suppose he gets his penance for shooting an innocent man. I once read something about it. It's like almost a film director's creed thing or in a plot you can do in a, in a in an action movie or something to designate someone as the bad guy the bad guy you, you have them there kick the dog so basically if they do something totally abhorrent on screen then it justifies their murder so it's a bit like that guy's blown away the father so he, it's okay now he can get an axe to the belly we don't, we don't it's not so. like an austin powers it doesn't cut to his family at home he's got He's got two kids waiting at home for him, but um... funnily enough, it's the um, it's the mother superior who kind of talks him down, talks the policeman down for having shot, you know, shot the father accidentally, and she's been oh, yeah. more than hypocritical, isn't she? Because she's she's kind of inflicted all that evil on the, on Billy throughout the years. Yeah, so again, alluding to her hypocrisy as well. Do you think she's uh, softening you? Because mm. um, obviously in the future, well, in, in present day when the film's set, well, the time when the film's set, she's now in a wheelchair, isn't she? Mm. And she seems to be a bit... She seems to be a bit kinder to the children, and she, especially um, Billy's brother, who she says he's a good boy, nothing like his brother. She's not seen far too, clearly. <laughs> um, so I don't think you know any discussion of this film will be complete without talking about the the censorship that it suffered not just in the UK which we might be more familiar with but also in the United States when this film came out because it was released by TriStar Pictures in, in America and at the time they were kind of an up and coming independent studio um, who ended up producing you know lots of different films that in they were they were owned by uh, by Columbia 
And after the release of this film, or more accurately, perhaps after the release of a trailer for this film, um, there were there was a huge kind of outcry against it in America, and people were standing outside cinemas with boards and placards saying things like "Santa Claus is not a is not a, is not a serial killer." It really did kind of generate some uh, some bad publicity. In fact, there was a there was a, a review by Siskel and Ebert where they said that the producer of this film had had blood money on there, had um, uh, yeah, blood on their hands no, no, from uh, from making this film, yeah, which I thought was yeah, a bit of a yeah. reaction. Yeah, I watched that review and uh, yeah, and I watched the review and they basically they name and shame the writer, the producer, the director, and they do it twice in the review. There was some connection to Coke as well. I think like Coke owned shares or something or owned TriStar, and I think obviously they were trying to build up this image of connection to Christmas, weren't they? So mm. as soon as they saw the backlash of uh, against a, a Christmas themed slasher film, they they pulled it straight away, didn't they? I mean, the, the in terms of the box office, this cost less than a million to make this film, and you know, you you probably guess that when you watch it. But the it did pull in in its opening weekend like two and a half million dollars. So I mean, it made a, it made a fair profit. Yeah, and yeah. I did read something else that said <clears throat> TriStar had predicted that if if this film had kind of been uh, granted a full release, it would have made about twenty million dollars. And Leo, Rob, one of you said before that this outgrossed in its first week. A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was released at the same time, um, which is just incredible to think about. I mean, if you look at the two films... It did have a wider release as well, yeah. I think, than that film. Uh, I think it was on 200 or 400 screens or something like that, quite a wide, wide release. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it made sort of 1.5, I think, just yeah. in the first yeah. week, I think, at least. And, and it was so, withdrawn, yeah. never to be kind of seen again. Well, not until uh, kind of a home video release. And Lee, I think, I think you're right, because the TriStar company was owned by Columbia, which was a major, who is still a major, of course. It's owned by Sony now. But at the time, it was owned by Coca-Cola. And, of course, Coca-Cola associated with, um, especially at Christmas time, with Father Christmas, you know, big jolly red Santa. Holidays are coming. Holidays are coming. <laughs> Billions are coming. Punishment is coming. <laughs> so we didn't talk about the made-up Christmas songs that they sing in this. Santa's creeping. Now oh, well, you're sleeping. It. Santa's coming. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. They, they sing together. Like, <laughs> now you're dying. Do you think? Uh, do you think they made other songs? Because is there really copyright on any classic Christmas songs? Like, they could have at least done a Christmas Carol song. Yeah, I'm, I'm right. That there was. They didn't even use Silent. Did they not even think, use Silent Night in this this film? I don't remember hearing it. Yeah, I'm sure that one. They do. But they call, They use Clement. They use Clement Attlee, doesn't it? Because when he's in the house, he's he's talk, He's doing the nightmare. The night before Christmas, isn't he? He does that as he's creeping around the house. But if you think about it, like even, you know, even the song "Happy Birthday" has has an credited writer. Like if you use the song "Happy Birthday" in something, you need to pay royalties to someone who I don't know who it was, but you know, someone who wrote it. So maybe lots of the Christmas songs also like "Have Yourself a Merry Christmas" comes from you know a, a, an MGM musical. I think it's "Meet Me in St. Louis." Judy Garland, and so that must have songwriter who who needs some royalties. Santa's creeping, <laughs> you sleep. We did get that famous, the famous Christmas song, "Warm, warm Side of the the Door." The door, that's just weird, isn't it? And it was the it was the one that was used for the, the montage where he's his employee of the month and he's just there. He's like high fiving everyone. Well, you know, I mentioned yeah. it in the um, in the kind of summary of the plot before. This is when things are <laughs> very briefly going well. 
the weird thing is that since you've sung it, it's like an earworm now. I've got it in my head now. I can't, I can't shake it, Santa. It's creepy. Now you're sleeping, Santa's humming. Now you're bumping. It's, it's for all the family. It's fun for all the family. <laughs> Can we talk about one of the kills in the um, toy shop? Because I know, like Lee, you, you said you were fascinated with all the toys. Mm. I was fascinated the fact is that you can kill a woman with a, a children's toy bow and arrow. You can shoot an arrow through her stomach. Yeah, that, yeah <laughs> that, that not only went into the flesh, but it went all the way through her. That had to be a sharpened, you know, hunting arrow. What is that? I mean, maybe they've got a rabbit problem in the back. Is, do you think Ira's Toys is a is a subsidiary of Walmart or something? You know, you can get your guns from there, can't you? Perhaps you can buy a bow and you know a high-powered bow and arrow as well. Yeah, This is a precursor to Nerf guns, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the the Nerf axe. Yeah, I kind of forgive it for having an axe. Yeah, maybe they're breaking down boxes in the back or something. But yeah, Yeah. I I think the the bow and arrow was a bit... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's it's incredible because he's also... um, He's not... You know, he's not testing the water with killing, is he? It's like, you know, it was a slow, slowly approach. But once he starts to kill, he starts to really enjoy it, doesn't he? He, he like... (laughs) He really, he really gets into it. I can tell from his facial, these blank facial expressions all the way through the film. So this, the actor who plays Billy 18 is a guy called Robert Brian Wilson. And what I, from what I garnered in the, um, in the Blu-ray extras on this, that he, he was picked, he was not an actor. Um, I can't remember what background he was from, but he was not an actor. Mm. And I think considering, it, yeah, he's Chris physique, you know, stacked. Um, they must have picked him for that. But it, I think he, I think he did okay. Um, he's, you know, he's not awful in the role. He's not, he's not fantastically brilliant. But I think he's okay. I think a better film would have would have possibly served him a little better. I don't know. What, what did you think about about his performance? You two? I think he's okay. I mean, I'm going to go with um, what Donny T said <laughs> below. You know, whenever you look up a film on Wikipedia, and there's a few quotes from people on the internet. Donny T says. Good nudity in gory parts too. I wish it was a bit more camp, but that's not the style of this one. <laughs> but I, I, what I will say of his performance is that he has this like somebody. I read a review where somebody says he's got a W-shaped mouth. Yeah. I don't know what that W-shaped mouth is, but I suppose, I suppose it's like a grin and a malice at the same time. I suppose isn't it? And he has that look all the way through, and he's got these rosy red cheeks, which he, you know is a in the first flush of youth. Yeah, he's not given any dialogue, is he? He's hardly given any dialogue early in the film. Yeah. When, when he becomes 18, they don't really give him much chance to do that. Maybe early on in the toy, toy shop scenes, you know, where he starts his job. But they don't give him much chance to kind of play on that. Not in, not in a pervy sense. I wanted him to have um, a failed uh, romantic liaison with that girl. You know, before it got to the point where he because because he's like daydreaming about it and she likes him, doesn't she? She always smiles and like chats to him, and and I thought there's going to be like a failed moment because he just can't because he's been too traumatized. But that doesn't happen. She just completely falls for that complete yeah. idiot who works in the shop, his supervisor, and um. And that's, you know, what leads Billy down the sticky path he goes on. I thought he just seemed like a, very, a fairly generic Saved by the Bell type character. He reminded me of the blonde actor. I can't remember his name out of Saved by the Bell. You oh, know? Um, what's he called? Who's the main character, the main lead in it? He can't. Uh, Zach. Zach, he was yeah, called Zach, yeah. wasn't he? That's it. It was and a then, bit like that. But so maybe he would have played like a teen, a typical teen movie quite well. But I just didn't think yeah. he was He didn't, he, well, he didn't seem menacing. He couldn't act menacing. He, he had... Hardly any dialogue. Maybe that was was good. He, he had very little dialogue, but uh, I think he was mainly there for his his body. You know, showing off uh, th- those guns that gave him his super 
superhero strength. Maybe he could have been like a superhero, but he's got the same backstory as Batman, hasn't he? Maybe he could have become a become a Santa superhero. It's not quite the same backstory as Batman. It's not quite the same. Do you not remember that bit with the tits? You know. Batman, he took a shortcut down an alley after seeing a movie, and then, uh, and then his, uh, then his mum and dad get a shot, and his a necklace falls to the ground. And this one, the only necklace is a pill. There's no, there's no epiphany where he suddenly looks in the mirror and goes, "I'm gonna wipe the scum from this earth." There's none of that, is it? It's just that he just basically has to wear a Santa suit, and that's too much, and he cracks. We talked about this a little earlier, um, which is the in Ira's toy shop. There are toys, and this 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 film was shot in in Utah in early. 1984 and we talked a little bit about the toys that can be seen on the shelves of ira's Ooh. toy shop the one the one that I, the one that caught my eye was it's the amazing. star wars jabba the hut uh kind of with jabba the hut and it's kind of the, the the throne that he sits on as well with like the kind of the, the, um mm. servile female creature <laughs> yeah i was more focused on the the crawl board game i didn't even know that exists and uh it was it came out i think in in 1983 so that would have been a brand new toy back then and that's quite a valuable valuable i mean i was really distracted by the by these toys in the background i was more focused maybe that's why i don't like the movie maybe it was i was more focused on on looking up on ebay what everything was worth but and also panicking when people were were fighting don't get blood on the boxes these are these are collector's items <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it, 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 uh, that's what I love about seeing some of these films. They're just like very commonplace things, which is of such great value these days. But you, in, back in the day, you never thought that, did you? Like looking at a, a Jabba the Hutt model, no, you never thought no, that exactly. that'd be worth thousands. Uh, uh, some of the other things I saw, like that there were some Muppet things and... Goodness me! I mean, just imagine taking a time machine back yeah, to that um, that toy shop back then, and just having a look around. Goodness oh, yeah. me! You'd uh, you clear up, wouldn't you? You really would. You'd, or the toy shop would anyway. Um, one of the other things I, I probably need to speak about is the um, the censorship in the UK of this film and its sequel, because we mentioned earlier the number of the number of tits that are in this film, and I think the problem for the UK censors was that in in the nineteen eighties and and probably still to some degree now a big problem for the UK censors of BBFC is nudity with violence at the same time. No tits played for British. Tits and violence at the same time is a massive no-no. Films rather like heavily cut that had scenes, even if breasts had like blood splashed on them or something like that, they would be cut. So I can think of a few scenes in this where the BBFC would have just said, no, that needs to go. So I, I do wonder if perhaps they considered releasing it here and then thought, looked at the material and thought, no, they're not, they're not going to pass it. So it actually, we in the UK didn't get the opportunity, whether it's a good thing or not, we didn't get the opportunity to see it until I think it was released on an Arrow video Blu-ray in uh, 2009 originally, completely uncut. Of course, now we've got the 101 Films Blu-ray, which is a, probably as good a release as you, you'll get. Apparently, it was quite difficult to find, wasn't it, pre-2012? Yes. Uh, I think the, the, talk, the talk of the remake brought out, obviously, they, they, they decided to re-release it. But yeah, I think it was yeah. out of print for many years, wasn't it? Probably quite collectible. I've not, yeah, I've not seen the remake. The remake's called, um, if anyone's interested, listen, it's called Silent Night. It doesn't have the deadly night bit. And uh, <laughs> apparently, it's very, it's very similar. It doesn't have the, the whole backstory, but the... The plot is uh, somebody in a Santa suit going around killing, which is, you know, it just goes cut straight to the meat of it, I suppose, without the build-up. 
Um, they made five. They made five films of five films of this Incredible. series. Incredible series. How did how did this flimsy yeah, format yeah. make make four sequels? Although I I did hear that sequels, well, uh, installments number four and five were kind of like Halloween three type sequel where there was no kind of connection yeah. to the events of the previous films, just kind of Christmas oh, yeah. uh, themed yeah. horror films. But well, there is a massive niche and. For people to complete the series, isn't it? I mean, I've it's like me with Friday the Things. I think I've seen most. Have you seen Jason X? Probably seen them all, uh, and some of them. Yeah, I, I don't need to see them, but you you feel that you have to because if you haven't, you've cheated yourself out of um, the series. Yeah. So it's like Jason. You know, so it's it's probably the same with this series. Like you know, there is some people who generally love this film. Yeah, I think we should say that originally we'd planned to do kind of a double feature for this for this episode, which is Silent Night, Deadly Nights One and Two. Having viewed Silent Night, Dead of Night Part 2, there's an old saying where if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Well, this is certainly true of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2, which incorporates no less than 40 minutes of film from the first film in its 88-minute running time. So, so like the, the first 40 minutes wow. of Part 2 is like a flashback from the, the brother's perspective, but he how you know how can he possibly oh. recollect the things that his brother did? He, he can't, so that's, yeah, that's yeah. nonsense to start with. And then after that footage has gone, has kind of been used up, um, what they do is they get the brother character who's now, you know, 18 or whatever. They kind of give him a few little vignettes where he's, he's has encounters with girls or, you know, he's killed people and he's confessing all this to his psychiatrist. He ends up, he ends up kind of killing the psychiatrist and going on a rampage trying to find mother, mother superior. But goodness me, what well, I, I can understand from the producer's perspective, what they were thinking of. They thought, oh, we've got all this lovely film that we can just use. Let's bang it all in there. And then we want to shoot a few scenes on top of this. It's it's not good. And the lead actor in it, uh, yeah, again, not an actor, I found out uh, originally. And he was um, he was given different opposing ways to play by the director and the producer. <laughs> the director told him to kind of play it low-key and kind of straight. And the producers say, no, we need some kind of quips like uh, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so he's... he's which is kind of all over the place and he's kind of like he's, it's a kind of performance where he kind of cocks his head back and goes ha 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 and then you know moves on to the next uh, killing in his slaughter yeah, it's 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 no, not good I, mean, no, I, I can't imagine if you can get past <laughs> if you can watch part two fair play to you um, I, I managed it just about but goodness me it's, it's a long it's a long 88 minutes it's fate it's been made famous of course for a famous meme or um gif which you might sometimes see where <laughs> the character says it's garbage day and he he shoots someone randomly through a through a dustbin <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's um, it's not <laughs> a good film uh, not at all um, but yeah Who's there? If people want to watch it, my favorite, my favorite, yeah, my. I was just thinking about murder quips from horror films I've seen. My favorite was always it wasn't a murder actress, but it's uh, uh, Nancy Kruger running through the school corridors in her dreams, and Freddie's Freddie's the school cleaner, <laughs> he's the janitor, and he turns he turns around and goes, <laughs> "No running in the hall, Nancy." <laughs> now the writer of this film, um, so, uh, we kind of discussed before, it's kind of a film of two halves, the. The writer of the film did say that he concentrated more on the backstory of the the Billy character uh, in his script, and then when it kind of got to the the part where he kind of goes over the edge and starts the massacre, then the script kind of became a bit less important. I think that definitely shows in in this film. And one of the other interesting things he said was that mm-hmm. the um, yeah he was he was obsessed by The Shining, 
Um, he's a big kind of Stanley Kubrick fan. He was obsessed by The Shining when he was writing this film. And this explains why, this explains the influence behind the um, the grandfather and Billy scene at the start, which was comparable to the um, the scene in The Shining where the boy and the, the kind of the caretaker at the, at the at the hotel, they can both they can both shine, you know. They can and they can talk to each other, and, um, you know, using their their shining uh, abilities. And he said that the scene with the grandfather and the boy was kind yeah. of a a bit of a um, a nod to that. And also, it might explain why there's so many killings by um, kind of axe in this film, uh, as in as in The Shining, where yeah, it, it picks off the poor the poor yeah, doesn't he? With yeah. the, he, he didn't see that one coming, but um, so what's it gonna be, boys? Does this one rot in the morgue or make it on the helicopter to freedom? Okay, so guys, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go last. I'm not sure how this vote will go. I'm, I'm pretty sure how this vote will go. But uh, you this time, how, what, what do you think? <laughs> uh, do we consign this? Do we consign Silent Night, Dead Night to the morgue? Or do you have a, a, a different fate in store for it? Okay. Um, for all the virtue of um, doing the backstory of a killer, which the only other film I think I can recall that happening is... Um, the latest Psycho is it Psycho? Is it Psycho Four? Psycho Four beginning was a really good entry, wasn't it? Yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah. So Psycho Psycho Four does that with Norman Bates, uh, but this is not in the same ballpark as that. I mean, it really is. Um, I mean, I, I can understand Lee getting drifted away with the toys. I mean, I got drifted away thinking about the <laughs> the, fa- the fashion of boobs. I literally spent about. I spent about 30 minutes of the film thinking how boobs have changed over time, or have boobs changed, or has people's shape changed, you know, shape fascinations of boobs changed over time, because they're quite wholesome, they're, his mum's at the beginning are quite fulsome, and then there's more peaky ones. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, isn't there? I think some of them might be augmented by plastic. Uh, but yeah, you know, yeah. yeah eight, 80s plastic boobs, but then um, but then the style of the boobs, you know, it, it differs all the way through the film. Uh, but then when we get back to the actual film, it's like, all, for all the premise, I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite slow at the beginning, actually. Um, but then once the killing kicks in, it's really run-of-the-mill slasher. The killings, some of the killings, I mean, the effects are okay. And it's a shame that what happened to, you know, the original footage and everything and the deterioration, because the version I saw, it went to, like, sepia. It was almost like watching Godfather 2. It went to sepia whenever there was a kill. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it was basically, you may as well put a sign on the, on the, a, a sign, a sign on the, a sign on the screen saying, Rob, here comes a kill. And... Uh, and for that, you know, I was, I was removed from the film completely. It's a short film. I mean, I give it that. It's not, at least I knew I wasn't in, I was in for like three hours. And then when I knew for this podcast that we had to watch two of them, I was so... Yeah, I was worried. <laughs> we, we dropped the idea pretty quickly after having watched the first one. And, uh, well, I watched the second one, as you know, and um, yeah. yes, you did the right thing, guys. I, I'll take that bullet for the, for this episode because it was my choice of film. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> me. Oh, God, so- it's awful. It's oh, the second one. Goodness me. Sorry, I digress. But late, uh, Rob, carry on. Yeah, I had so little energy when the film ended, and you know, I, I'm quite a night owl anyway. I watch a lot. Of, well, I watch a lot, a lot of sheets uh, in a row. Uh, but literally, that wiped me out. I was done, and I, and I, I turned it off. And I, I sat there. I actually watched the end credits because sometimes you know, like I'm, modern films and modern series are obsessed with shoving something on at the end, and there was nothing at the end. Uh, but I sat there like a dickhead. <laughs> I, sat, I sat there like a dickhead. <laughs> the universe type. 
uh, ending with uh, Skeletor. That's like they're like a dickhead expecting the killer's eyes to open at the end or some crap. But but none of that happened. And uh, so so as far as the morgue and the uh, helicopters of freedom, it's completely consigned to the morgue. It's it's consigned to the morgue and it's battered dreary santa suit and they couldn't even do the trading places santa you know with like the uh, the wine stains in the beard he he's he's um it, it's it's not necessarily his fault he's not given any dialogue to work with so it's in the morgue his sack's empty um he's not done any deliveries <laughs> and what i'll take away from, what i'll take away from the film it may be it's the hilarious last word of the uh the brother uh, he's, he's just, that last word. The, the film ends on it, the the younger brother who's just seen his his older brother being killed, and the mother superior shaking him off her. And it, the last word he shouts, "Naughty!" And I, I echo those words for this film. I shout at the director of this film and the writer and everyone else, "Naughty!" So, <laughs> so, so, so this so sadly, sadly, um, I, you know. It takes a lot for me to put something in the morgue. I, I mean, I saved over the top. I'll try to. So I'll put this film. I'll put. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in the morgue. It's in the morgue. Sadly. Thanks, Rob. So that's one vote for the morgue uh, this week for Silent Night, Deadly Night. Um, Lee, what were your what were your overall thoughts on this film? Well, I feel like I've just been slagging it off all episode, really. But there, there were things that I enjoyed in there. There were some of the kills were quite unique. The particularly the the antler kill where he holds him up like the Darth Vader grip that we were discussing earlier. And the sleigh, the sleigh kill. So they were, I can understand why it's a cult movie. It's got the the grandpa bit at the start ha, has most people in stitches. I think when you see that, even though it is quite chilling as well at the same time. So I understand it's a bit of a dark comedy. It's supposed to be uh, titillating for the teenage audience. It's not made made for middle aged people to see for the first time. But ultimately, <laughs> like you. We call it midway. <laughs> so you, you, you're supposed to have characters, though. Like you, you, you needed someone, somebody to root for. You needed a, a, the only character I felt that was rounded out properly was Billy. They spent half an hour, a third of the movie, really, on 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 fleshing out his backstory. Way too long, in my opinion. I think they should have spent more time, perhaps, in a toy sh- shop, uh, establishing who those characters were. They're very two like, D characters, weren't they? Uh, Terrible acting. I don't think there was. Maybe you could say Britt Leach was okay. I mean, I know you you were uh, criticised his drunk acting, but yeah, he was kind of uh, watch it again. Seriously, <laughs> maybe I need to watch that again. But he did go on to have a decent career. I can understand what they were trying to do. I think I think they were just trying to create create a shock movie, something that would uh, garner word of mouth and and sell well. And and uh, I think you know have some memorable scenes. And I think we got that. We got some Christmas. Uh, themed killings didn't we but it, it was way too over the top with with the with the tits yeah it was kind of what am i watching here is it porkies you know should i be, should, should I be watching this with a with a box of kleenex by the side of the by the side of the stove so i wasn't too sure what emotion stuff. Emotion for tears of course for tears but uh, <laughs> i was left pretty empty by the end of it uh, but not in that way i must add just emotionally empty because we didn't get the payoff at the end as well did we you know mother mother superior didn't get mother Teresa, as you call her rob didn't get her come up at the end she didn't get no she didn't get killed no. so it was rather drab ending really yeah we got the uh, ricky only seemed to have been there to provide the the film a sequel didn't he the, the little brother and, uh, right. it was 
It's a pretty vacuous film. Naughty. But, uh, memorable. It probably is one that will live long in, in my memory, but I will not uh, be visiting the, the sequels uh, or any of the remakes or anything. So, yeah, I've been preparing a nice little place for this in the morgue. We've been preparing all week for it, really. So we've got it a nice uh, a nice room. Uh, Christmas room, obviously. We can, we can decorate it, can't we, with uh, tinsel and... Uh... And lots of tits. <laughs> lots of tits, everyone. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's uh, sadly it's uh, it's going straight in the slammer. So what about you? Over to you, Carl. Oh, thanks, thanks, guys. Well, you've kind of left me with a task of trying to save it from from the morgue. However, I'm I'm not going to because I I, I this is one of those films that's kind of got a more interesting story behind it than when you watch the film. Of course, it was the the subject of lots of debate and anger when it came out in America. Um, people were protesting against it. Apparently, this was because of a, a daytime commercial for the film that, that ran on TV, and it showed you know Santa Claus kind of carrying an axe, or the character being Santa Claus wearing an axe, and and this caused lots and lots of uh, protests outside cinemas that were showing the film, and led to it being kind of swiftly withdrawn. I think it was after two weeks. It was. Um, it was withdrawn completely from cinemas. And this was quite a big release because it came from TriStar and uh, they were a subsidiary of Columbia Pictures, who were in turn owned by Coca-Cola, um, who we speculate before might have been behind the, you know, the negative attitude uh, that the film kind of showed towards the festive period, which obviously Coca-Cola is very invested in that. And yeah, I so I, I, I watched it with its interesting kind of censorship uh, history. Of course, in the UK, it's been completely unavailable. So I was, I was curious on that respect as well, up until very recently. But yeah, I, uh, I watched it on Christmas Eve. And the thing that got me about this film was that it's not, although it's set at Christmas, it doesn't feel like a Christmas film. And I know it's a horror film, you know, it's not Home Alone. But I'm, I was thinking back to other festive horror films like Lee mentioned before Christmas Evil but the the one I was thinking of in particular was Black Christmas yeah, uh, despite despite being you know first of all classic horror film one of the best it, it it feels festive it feels like a Christmas movie you know it's it's clearly set at Christmas whereas this I didn't feel like I was in apart from the when the killer becomes Santa Claus I mean that's basically it and there's some snow but even Iris Toy Shop didn't seem too particularly festive, uh, despite some kind of eerie-looking uh, nutcrackers and um, some other kind of gargoyle-looking Santa Clauses and things like that. So generally speaking, I I was curious to watch it, but having seen it, I find it kind of quite distasteful. And um, I don't, I'm not I'm not like a prude. I I, I, I enjoy horror films, slash films, but I, lots of this it, it just didn't appeal to me. I, I wanted some kind of redemption for Billy. Uh, I was kind of invested in him, especially for the first half an hour or so. And I I, I wanted to see him either you know get some revenge or show some kind of human qualities after he'd kind of gone over the edge. And we just didn't get any. It kind of just you know Billy's this little boy. He has this horrible message from his from his grandfather. His parents are killed. He has a horrible time at the orphanage. And what happens to him? You know, he turns into a killer and he gets shot. There's there's nothing there. It's not an arc. It's not a character arc. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From the top of a cliff and he just comes down and down and down. There's nothing for him. And even at the end, the end yeah. his little brother, his little brother is like, oh, he's going to be the next killer. 
because he's you know it's for his friend and him saying naughty. It just looked like it just looked like people looking around. Just people looking around at the all the other films out at the time and the money that can be made and cashing in on it and churning it out and just giving up on the idea. If they don't add some conviction and stuck with the development, we could have ended up with a half decent film. Rob, you, you said you that's a really good point because the writer of this film in one of the uh, special features on the Blu-ray that I watched said that he was given a, a kind of a writing brief where and the the brief he was given was at the end the the, the killer is wearing a Santa Claus outfit and he's you know yeah. it's a slasher film so he go. went back and worked on like the build up to it but not so much on the the kind of the, the parts after that so it's for me it's totally film two halves it begins with so much promise i think that it could have got we've discussed it we could have gone off in so many different directions giving a bit more sympathy and empathy to the billy character who really is a victim he's kind of a victim in all this mother superior gets away with everything and she's 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 the real evil of the picture and it just didn't. It, overall, it just didn't appeal to me. It didn't. It didn't kind of. It didn't click with me. And I'm. I'm a big fan of fil- films from this period, like um, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street and oh, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth. Oh yeah. Pink yeah. And lots of films. Yeah. You know, we, t- we talked about Terror Train and New Year's Evil, and uh, you know, I, I I love films like that. They're really inventive and creative. But this one, it just kind of struck me cold. And of course, the kind of the sexual violence on top really just kind of turned it into a, yeah, it, it not for me and. Uh, I'm sorry. I appreciate the art, and there is artistry in this film, but I'm going to have to consign Silent Night, Deadly Night to the morgue. So you, you join the illustrious company of, um, I can't fanatic. remember the other one now. Hader. There are lots of fanatic. It's like the end of a police court episode where they'd list everyone who they put into jail in like the previous weeks. The weepy moment at the Oscars where they play the sad music and they show everyone who died, but we show all the films we put in the morgue. <laughs> I would say this is one of our longest pods for a while, so clearly there was a lot to talk about here. It is kind of quite a thought-provoking It's film. a cult film. It's got an interesting history. You know, it's it's not like pay dirt that has, you know, fuck all history, nothing to it. At the very least, you're going to see lots of ticks. <laughs> so, so if you do watch it... <laughs> Well, I think that's that's consigned to the morgue. Then that's that's three three strikes and out. So um, I can't remember whose turn is it for a film choice next. It's my turn. I've already decided. Yeah. So well, can you perhaps episode, let us in on your on your on your decision? Yeah, episode eleven is one of my favourite sci-fi's from the seventies, which is Logan's Run. Again, you get some bo- you get some boobs in this film, but um, I just love the film. I mean, I, I'm hoping I've not seen it for quite a few years. I'm hoping. It's not going to be one of those I go back and I see loads of missed faults. I don't think I will. I think it's a great one. Um, so Logan's film. Anyone who's uh, over the age of 30, you go into Carousel. Uh, but... <laughs> I'll be your three then. <laughs> that means I'd already be dead. Suspended <laughs> like a, a circuit and shot. <laughs> to our younger list. Yeah, we'll have a black st- black stone on our hand. To our younger listeners, your younger listeners, you can be runners, so you'll be fine. <laughs> yep. If you've not seen Logan's Run, by the way, before we do our pod, please go out there and watch. It's such a classic. So, yeah, Logan's Run's episode 11. Can I just say there's a really good, if you're in the UK, there's a really good Logan's Run um, Blu-ray available at the moment, which is on part of the HMV uh, premium collection. And I think it's, if you buy it with another film, you can get two two Blu-rays for £15. Logan's Run is one of them. So Rob and Lee, uh, if you're 
if you're interested. I've got a copy which I bought ages ago and I've not watched. Are we sponsored by HMV, Carl? Are you withholding this sponsorship money from the... From no, the not, at all, not at all. But it's... it's you know, I think I mentioned it the other day for um, Krull. Seriously, guys, oh. go, go, go to HMV's website and get Krull and Logan's Run for 15 quid. Don't don't oh. wait. Do it now. That sounds good. They're, they're both nice additions as well, like like Lee's old my, uh, Silent my Run. My brother used to know every word to Krull. Um, uh, so that was his claim to fame. He used to be able to recite Krull as it played on the TV, which is quite oh, boring wow. to sit there near him. But, yeah. <laughs> Krull was on it in It must have been like late in late in 1983. Yeah. So yeah. that ties in with the filming of Silent Night, Deadly Night in early 84. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, so this is a, this is closing episode ten, isn't it? So, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Anyone who's made it through all ten episodes, well done to you. There's a there's a there's not a badge in the post, but well done. And happy yeah. new year, everyone. The vintage year. We've all enjoyed it. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll, uh, we'll 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 have a better one next year. Yeah. Here's the ten more episodes from the uh, Manchester Movie Mug team. Yeah. Okay. okay. See you all, guys. Bye-bye. Bye, bye, everybody. Bye, bye.